evidence-based care. This term is used over and over again in the modern birth industry with obstetricians, with midwives in the hospitals and birth centers, and midwives at home. And it is a part of many licensures. It is a part of a lot of workshops, and it is definitely a part of the prenatal care and the birth care that is discussed with clients and um, their families to help others understand that these care providers are keeping up with research and they are changing their practices as new evidence comes along. But is it really the best way to practice care? That's really up to you to decide. So let's think about um, one complication, one of the main complications in um, a labor and birth, and that is postpartum hemorrhage. So of all of the complications, postpartum hemorrhage is one of the number one causes of maternal death across the world, including the United States. And do we need to ask what is the most effective way of managing this postpartum hemorrhage? Or do we need to ask what is the most effective way of preventing this hemorrhage? And and there are so, so many different ways that you can look at evidence-based care. But I just want to talk about, about this one particular situation of postpartum hemorrhage because it is a really big fear and simply because I had a really big discussion, um, a really long discussion about this topic very recently. So it's just on my mind. And I thought it was a good way of looking at this term called evidence-based care. So on one end, you have a lot of care providers who are practicing delayed cord clamping or, or lotus birth and not clamping the cord. Um, you have care providers that create a birth setting to prevent the postpartum hemorrhage from happening. You have the nutritional aspect of preventing this complication. And then on the other side, you have active management of third stage. And you will get people from all different angles saying that their method is the most evidence-based. But I want you to understand that when it comes down to the studies and when it comes down to the literature that is driving the changes in routine practices among the medical community and those that practice um, maternity care with a bit of a clinical and medical mindset, that the evidence-based care for preventing postpartum hemorrhage is active management of third stage. So what does active management of third stage actually mean? So in most medical perspectives on birth, the labor and birth is divided into three stages. So you have the early stages of labor, you have the first stage, which is just kind of gearing you up to get in, into labor. And this is from one to four to five centimeters dilated. The description has changed over the years, basically because as people start to observe different things, the evidence starts to change. So evidence in this particular situation is um, still up in the air because the more women that you study in different settings, the more your evidence is going to change. So let's keep that number one factor in mind. 
So then there is the second stage, and that is active labor. This is when your body is actively in labor. And in this perspective, anything outside of active labor is not really labor. And many uh, care providers will not attend a woman when she has not reached a certain centimeter dilation with contractions showing a certain way. The problem with that perspective is, number one, complications can arise. So leaving a mother alone um, and fearful because she actually wants you there is not always um, evidence-based care, or is it? I'm not really sure where we're going with the evidence-based care because we're not always focusing on the things that we need to focus on, right? So if you have a mom that is so stressed out that her hormones can't balance out to move her along in labor, then she is actually increasing her risks of various factors of labor, but also postpartum hemorrhage. And then you have um, the moms that the baby's in a funky position and nobody's doing anything to move the baby in a very biological, physiological, supportive way to get the baby to move through the pelvis for mom to then move into second stage labor. So again, you end up with moms with really long, tiresome labors, and that is a risk factor for postpartum hemorrhage. All right, now we've actually made it to third stage. So the baby has been born and um, the now it's time for the placenta to birth. And in this phase, the evidence, so we are talking the studies that have been grouped together and are now driving routine practices in obstetric and maternity care. The active management of third stage means that you don't just wait and see, you don't Um, leave things alone. You do things to control the situation. This, in most definitions, means that there is a routine oxytocin provided to the mother. So it's usually an injection of Pitocin, an intermuscular injection of Pitocin immediately after the birth. The cord is clamped very early. So, um, you know, very quickly, as soon as they can get the cord or within the first minute or so, the cord is clamped The baby is whisked away or possibly even put on the mother's chest, but um, usually when the cord is clamped that early, they do take the baby away and they don't immediately put it on the mom. And then cord traction um, is controlled. So I'm not really sure how you can actually control cord traction because pulling on the placenta in any way risks, increases the risks of postpartum hemorrhage. But Um, In a lot of those medical mindsets, if they are doing something, then they are controlling the situation. However, if you're doing something, then you are contributing to the increase of risks, regardless of what the evidence says for preventing one specific complication. So when you look at evidence, you have to not only understand that the evidence is very limited, you not only need to look at very certain types of studies, let's say peer-reviewed studies, um, but you need to be very well aware of what these studies are studying. So what do the groups look like? Is it a multiracial study group? Does that even matter? Um, Because all different cultures are going to be different. Is it looking at the nutrition of each of these people in the study group? Um, Is it looking at where these women are birthing and comparing the style, the environment, the type of birth team that is influencing the entire labor, the, the pregnancy and the labor and the birth? 
Is it looking at the factors of fear that might be playing into it? What about the medication, not only during pregnancy, but also during labor? And is it looking at all of these different factors that have a very real influence on the safety of birth? Or is it just, let's see in the group that exists today, that means, you know, the majority of moms are on the standard American diet, they're malnourished even when they're eating a lot, and they, even when they're taking their prenatal vitamins, um, they might be on various forms of medication. Um, you know, antidepressants are really common and lots of different um, allergy and sleep medications are really common during pregnancy. Um, things like Tylenol, various, various different medications that can thin your blood, prevent your body from working efficiently. So is it factoring in all of those things? Because when you're talking about evidence-based care, all of that information is really important into really deciding what is actually influencing the increase in postpartum hemorrhage. So then let's think about the hormone oxytocin. Oxytocin needs quiet, calm, and dark in order to work really, really well. So if you look at most births, in our country, um, the third stage is surrounded by stuff going on. It might be sort of a calm stuff going on, but it's more stuff than what has been previously happening during labor. And if you go into a birth and let's say you're welcoming that stuff happening because you're scared of the alternative to not being in that place or being with those people, that doesn't mean that the stuff happening is not affecting your hormones on a subconscious level. So you have a labor, everybody kind of left you alone, you did your thing, it's very calm, and you're, you know, fine with everything that's happening. But then the lights come on a little bit. Maybe not all the way, maybe it's just um, a small light, but it's, you know, it's stuff and people are messing around with things. It's like, if you were having sex and you were fine with people there, but but they were just there. They weren't there for a while and then they came around right when you were ready to orgasm. It's just going to change things. So it might change things a little bit for some people and it might change things a lot for the other people. So then you clamp the cord early and you prevent the baby from getting all their blood or you wait only two minutes and the baby got most of their blood but they still didn't get all of their blood. Then you have a placenta that's either full of blood and it's not you know, pulling away from the sides of the uterus in a slow manner, or you have stuff happening and your oxytocin levels aren't very, um, aren't rising high enough because um, things are happening and the hormone just can't in that environment. Maybe the baby's taken away from you or you're just not really sure what's going on. If you're not really sure what's going on, adrenaline is acting in your body. Even though there might be parts of this situation that are supporting your fears, there can still be parts of the situation that are not supporting your fear, which means your hormones are not at a balanced level. Then you have somebody pulling, which is pulling on the uterus, whether it's pulling a little bit or pulling a lot, it's still pulling, which is not the way that your uterus is designed to do. Is it any wonder so many women have bladder control issues and uterine prolapse later on in their life. It's not just because they're not moving enough early 
on in their pregnancy and their life. It's also because of things that are done to them during childbirth. But let's also look at that movement factor. If you're not moving a whole lot, then your pelvis, your uterus, your ligaments, all of these areas down in the place that you need to work during labor and birth, they are not functioning the way that they're supposed to. So then you increase your risks. There are so many different factors for saying, yes, something needs to be done to help prevent postpartum hemorrhage, but is the evidence-based care really the correct way of doing it? And nobody can really tell you yes or no. Somebody can tell you that they practice evidence-based care, but there are situations where, let's say a mom goes in, she doesn't have a lot of fear. She is walking one to three miles a day on average. She is nourished and she has eaten a lot of dark leafy greens and yellows and blues and reds and oranges. She's eating all of the colors of the rainbow, which allow her entire body to function. It's not just about being healthy. That's how your body functions. And then she's being cared for. Her fears are being managed. She feels respected by her birth team. She feels like she can communicate with her birth team. She is confident of them listening to her, answering their phone, and not brushing her off, arriving when they need to arrive, or being present during the labor and birth. And then the mom is able to eat and drink if she's hungry and thirsty during labor. She's encouraged to pee and to move and to listen to her body. She is not told to push when she doesn't have the urge. She is maybe guided in a gentle way if there's something happening that is causing her fear to make her stress labor. And then the baby is not separated from the placenta before the placenta is birthed. The baby is gently, quietly, calmly put on the mother's bare chest after the birth so that they can get to know each other and nobody is forcing them to do things within that time. There's just this quiet approach of not a lot of chaos going on and not a brightly lit environment where people are poking and prodding even if the baby is on the mother's chest, they're just kind of letting things happen because most births go well. And then the cord stops pulsing, it turns white, the placenta is birthed. And when the mother decides to separate her mom or her baby from the placenta, she makes that choice without people poking and prodding her with questions. Then does that environment, that calm environment, elicit a better chance of hemorrhage not happening? Or does that environment still need the active management of third stage? So this is where evidence-based care is not always evidence-based care, and evidence-based care is not evidence for every situation. So while this is just one situation, this is the way a lot of the current practices, the evidence-based practices, are creating other routines that may not actually fix the root cause of the complication and risk of the childbearing years. So when you go to make your next decision for labor, birth, pregnancy, postpartum, whatever it might be, take a look at the evidence. There's a really great book called A Guide to Effective Care in Pregnancy and Childbirth, which gives you the evidence-based care for almost every situation in the perinatal stages. Then I want you to think about how can you be an atypical 
pregnant client who is not your standard American or your standard prenatal client that isn't very healthy, how can you be healthier? How can you prevent these from happening with your lifestyle choices, with your birth environment choices and your care provider choices? And then and then maybe avoid some of these routine evidence-based practices because you're not like the people in a lot of these study groups. So it's just it's not to say that the evidence is not valuable and it's not to say that it's it's not warranted in a lot of situations, but you can really look at this evidence and even the anecdotal evidence and consider if it is really right for you and how you can feel confident either choosing that evidence-based care or doing something different. So if you want some guidance along the way, some birth education, some perinatal mentoring, just counseling through previous birth trauma, maybe you've had previous hemorrhage or another complication where the evidence-based care either supported you or didn't support you, then get in touch at movdoula.com or asalibirth.com. You can follow me on Facebook or Instagram. Connect with me in a lot of different ways and learn how the evidence can support you and learn how different choices may support you for a happier, healthier birth.